0: the members of the uncontrolled airspace podcast are participating as private individuals their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations with which they work also anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general in nature you should always consider your situation remember your training and fly the airplane but you knew that So, Dave, a second ago, you were talking about this uh, breakfast that you go to some Saturday mornings at where? Dead cow? Uh, actually, no. It's a
1: little restaurant. that's a family family style restaurant. It serves fresh pies that they make on premises and all pies called Spears. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And every Saturday. Almost every Saturday year round, uh, there's a little ad hoc gathering of local members of the Commemorative Air Force, uh, the Jayhawk Wing, as they call it. And uh, so a couple of times a month, Annie and I trot over there. It's only about uh, four miles or so. And uh, sit down with the gang, have breakfast, uh, shoot the breeze about aviation, whatever else is piquing our interest. Uh, you know, there's people there that are mechanics, uh, run airports, uh, uh fly ferry for a living or used to uh our flight instructors or sim instructors or both uh, engineers we've got a couple of top grade aerodynamicists that uh, join the crowd it just varies from week to week so it, that's that's where we were this morning to start the day off bought breakfast for my buddy the leprechaun because uh he'd done some uh nice favors for me a few months ago on a pilot report job when we based it out of
0: Deadcast. So and now we're watching it spit freezing precept. Yeah, really. No, but before we move on, I wanted could this is the is the leprechaun as much of a character as his name implies? Uh, Jeb, have you ever met him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, he uh
2: I don't know him nearly as well as Dave does. Obviously, do people but, actually uh,
0: call him? Do do? You, or, or I don't want you to. Out I, don't, his name I, would think so,
2: I would think so to His face. No. Really?
1: Okay. Why not? I'm the only. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Uh huh. I made I made up the nickname for him years ago in doing a, a an airport based reinvention of uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas.' Okay. And based the whole thing out at the airport. Like at, at that's a dead not been done sure. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't, we didn't use anybody by name. We gave everybody made-up names. Oh, so, but okay. you know, uh, you know, and Santa was there. And uh, man, I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to see if I even have a copy of that still. That's
0: probably 10, 12 years ago. That's 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 blackmail blackmail material right there. You could.
1: Uh,
2: oh yeah, yeah,
1: oh yeah. Oh, I, I've actually thought about it, including it in a uh, in a uh, collection of other other short b s stories based on real life and aviation but.
0: <laughs> now uh jed last week you were talking about your buddies at the uh at the tifton uh f b o yeah are are there any any good characters at that airport well there Maybe? used to be. Actually, to speaking of characters, well, now your buddy Lee, who I'm—is it Lee who I met? Lee, your mechanic yeah. friend. Yeah, and yeah.
1: Lee's definitely a character.
0: Very, Lee's cool, very cool Lee's, guy. But yeah, yeah. seems like yeah. a real airport guy. And uh, yeah,
2: Lee's definitely—you know—he he definitely drank Kool-Aid a long time ago. Lee, Lee's definitely one of us. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the the guy who stands out most in my memory of of characters at the Tifton Airport was i won't name him I know the name, but i won't i won't name him, but it was the crop duster who who operated from there for years and years and years and uh, I happened to be i I probably mentioned this on the on the podcast before pumped gas at that airport uh, one summer uh, many 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 moons ago uh, and also you know of course that's where I learned to fly but um, uh, I remember distinctly i'd that one afternoon, that summer, one day that summer, I'd I'd gone up with the instructor in a one fifty, and um, we'd gone out for a lesson, and and we came back. I guess I was post solo at that point. Came back, and um, uh, the the crop duster standing there, kind of tapping his foot and, and looking at his watch as we taxi in, and and uh, we shut down, and and he walks up and says, "I need a ride over to such and such town." Uh, I got to pick up a part for my for my airplane before I can get back in the air, and um, the instructor, who also happened to be the the guy who ran the FBO, says, "Well, you know, why don't you, you and Jeb just get in a 150 and and go over and get the part and, and come back?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's going to work well," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm sure he was thinking something not only similar but more colorful. <laughs> yeah and <laughs> uh-huh. but the bottom line is that's what we ended up doing so we get in this little 150 and he's as I remember him he was not an insubstantial individual <laughs> um and uh, we get in the 150 and the you know you can hear the the gear kind of groan as we as we taxi <laughs> yeah. out and we take off, and and um, Gee, are I'm, those
1: wheel bearings? No, that's the wheels crying. Get <laughs> off! Get
2: off! That's right. That's right. The wings are, you know, permanently deflected by the time we we get 100 feet in the air. Um, and we, I start climbing out. My normal, you know, climb out. I want to get a little bit of altitude because this is, after all, a single engine airplane and kind of head off in the, the general direction of the, our destination. And we're climbing through like 1,500 feet, and he reaches forward and just shoves the nose forward, uh, just pushes down, pushes on the yoke, shoves the nose down, says, this is high enough, I get nosebleed
0: about <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. is this- that, that
2: was, this was uh, several years ago.
0: Was this the same crop duster pilot who you blocked when you ran the uh, yes. fuel truck out of yes. gas? yes.
2: They- same guy, yeah, okay. same guy. I don't know which event happened first. I suspect the blocking his airplane um, uh, after running out of gas happened uh, much later in our, uh, in our relationship.
0: Well, I imagine that he has very fond memories of you, too. So.
2: Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, he's passed on, but uh, um, it, it was an interesting time. Uh, I, I, I remember watching, uh, sitting in the FBO lounge, watching him land on runway three three while an air south beach ninety nine would land on runway one five. (laughs) Do the math. Really? Uh, (sighs) Really? Yeah it was those are those are the days.
0: Uh before I do the open here, uh, oh now it's gone again. The echo has been coming and going, but uh it's gone now so we'll just hang in here for a bit. Well, on that note, welcome folks to episode number sixty nine of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast we 're back we 're recording this podcast on uh, on uh,
2: afraid what there. is it
0: saturday afternoon saturday uh, yeah february twenty third seems like we did one just the other day and uh, If anybody sits down and compares dates, they're going to discover that we posted 68 last night and now we're recording 69 the next day. We're trying to kind of catch up a little bit because uh, various real-world schedules have caused us to get a little behind.
2: Some of us have been falling behind.
0: I'm I'm largely to blame this time around, I I confess. Uh, The good news is that I've been doing some really interesting projects and sadly have nothing to do with aviation, but... uh, but are going to uh, fill the coffers so we can do some extra aviation when the weather turns nice. Yay! Uh, yeah. So anyways, we're Very recording cool. Sunday afternoon, February 23rd. It just snowed up here in New England. We had a big storm, and uh, I spent most of yesterday f- driving back from uh, uh, from upstate New York in a, in a snowstorm. Um, before I el- elaborate on that, let me say hi to the other folks here, here in the virtual hangar. One of those voices is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. And it's still beautiful down there, huh?
2: Well, I I was hoping you would uh, get into asking about how the weather
0: was. Oh, yeah? Okay. All right. Go ahead.
2: I had to turn on the air conditioner today.
0: That other voice out there is Dave Higdon. Uh. <laughs> Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine and the US editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. He's joining us for a much more normal climateed Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> you
2: That's call right. that normal? That's so like yeah, abnormal normal.
1: For for February this is normal. Yeah. For Feb- I mean, you know. Yep.
2: Yeah, what's normal though? And, and I would I would, you know, none of us should be held up as normal, okay?
1: Absolutely not. It's just like reality. It's a concept that doesn't compute. Uh-huh.
0: So, uh, yeah. So, well. So what, what happened? So I was in I was in Rochester, New York, the other day. I drove a truckload of equipment out to Rochester, New York, on uh, whatever day it was, and we did our little thing. And and then I, I was scheduled to drive it back yesterday. And and I was how, just yeah.
2: How much How much longer will this sentence be in effect?
0: Uh, no, this is a good gig, man. I like it. I this is you know putting on shows. It's what I like to do. And uh, so. Uh, and, and except for the driving in a snowstorm part, I mean, I love, you know, traveling like that, you know, seeing the sights. I mean, that's oh, one, sure. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the reasons why I like flying, because I like, you know, see, you and I, Jeb, are very different, I think, aviation enthusiasts, uh-huh. all right? Because uh-huh. you, you'll recall from when I flew with you down yeah, oh, to yeah. Florida. Oh, yeah. I know exactly right? where you're headed. Yeah. All right? Go ahead. Is that I wanted, I wanted a chart, and I wanted to follow along and watch the ground and see the sights, all right? And you just immediately climbed above the clouds and put on the autopilot, and we were on our way. And... Uh, And it's just two very different legitimate ways to enjoy aviation, but... but So I sort of enjoy driving the way I enjoy flying. You know, it's kind of like seeing the sights and seeing the world. And so I do almost all of my driving in daylight hours so that I can see what's going on and not in snowstorms so that I can see what's going on. <laughs> and, uh, Whoosh. But I, but, I tell you, but, So I was driving the, this truck uh, back on Interstate uh, 90, and I knew that the windshield wipers were icing up on a regular basis, you know, and I'd have to stop can, like can, every can, other rest area. Yeah, can you can you can you give us a little more graphic detail on quote this truck? Yeah, you I was gonna ask about what, a pickup what? truck, a panel van. Is this uh, an 18
2: wheeler? What is this?
0: No, no, no. This is like a, I believe it's a 16 foot box. You know, basically, okay. it's a, a big van with a box on the back. And
2: Ford, Chevy, Dodge
0: beats the heck out of me. Uh, uh, Penske—that's all. White,
2: oh, Pens- flat, yellow, yeah, the one yellow of Pens- bright
0: yellow Penske <laughs> things. Yeah. And, okay.
2: Uh,
0: okay, That narrows it down. So,
2: what the one thing we know about this truck, other than its color and and who rented it, is that it did not. It was not known icing equipped.
0: No, it was not. <laughs> because because one of the times I got out to check the. Uh, the Hang in there, folks. We're going to get back to aviation any second now. Um, (laughs) I got out to clear off the windshield wipers, and I suddenly realized that the entire front of the truck was coated with ice. And uh and I'm just thinking, wow, this is just a wonderful graphic example of what can happen. You know, it's like you don't want this to happen to your airplane. Because I mean the the whole hood, you know, the sort of the they have this uh, you know minimal hood on the front of the truck and the uh, and the mirrors, you know, were completely caked in ice, you know, and uh and I'm going, Wow, that's just you know, so um, how cold was it? It wasn't incredibly cold. I'm not even convinced that it was all that much below freezing. Um and, uh, but it was, you know, and, and it was mostly, it wasn't that it was raining, it was definitely snowing, but it was melted on the ground, and then the the traffic would kick up a little bit of a spray, sure. and sure. that spray would hit the vehicle and freeze on the vehicle, and uh, so I've got some cool pictures, uh, at least I think they're cool, and I'm going to put them someplace on the web and put a pointer to them, just as, uh, you know, here's, a, here's a, a a ground-based example of what you don't want to do in your airplane, and uh, have a winter got, grill. Yeah, I mean, have you got? I know you got. We've talked about it in the past and how seriously you take uh, icing. Have yeah. you actually gotten tangled in icing uh, many times in the past? Uh, I mean, you always managed to escape, Dave. What, you, you said something earlier before, during when we were getting set up about ice. What, what was it you said? Uh, I was uh, comparing some notes uh, with
1: a couple other pilots at breakfast this morning about our icing experiences, and uh, you know, uh, as, as you mentioned, treat it. We we treat it quite. Quite seriously, uh, as in life-threatening, uh, because it can build up so quickly. Uh, but I gave the analogy that uh, icing's a little bit like going down a four-lane highway, and uh, sometimes you're in oncoming traffic, and sometimes you're in the in, in the flow of the traffic. The problem is you can never really positively know where you are in that if you can't see the outside of the airplane. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to be able to shine a light on the wing if it's night. You got to be able to see through the glass if it's daytime. Which could be a problem too sometimes. But, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing about flying versus driving an, a non ice approved truck cross country is that you're already on ground level in the truck.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, but believe me, when those things ice up, you suddenly can't see out the windows, and you really kind of wish you had instruments to to keep going because uh, mm-hmm. it gets pretty get pretty hard to see out that front window. Um, well,
1: synthetic vision's the next big thing in automobiles, so I'm, I'm,
0: um, I'm there, man. I think it's I think it's a good idea. Um, and and before I forget, because I did last week, uh, I am Jack Hodgson. I am a private pilot, a freelance writer, <laughs> and a new media producer here in Boston. Or I'm actually in Epping, New Hampshire today. I'm Everybody,
2: on- take a drink.
0: That's So, uh... (laughs) let's see what were we talking about um so the uh, episode sixty eight I, I know you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, um but uh first of all episode sixty eight was going is read up right up there in the in the greatest hits list I think of uh, of uncontrolled airspace um amy's Amy's story about her ditching down uh, near Key West was just and listening to it again was just an awesome story and uh um, very educational and and it was great of her to share that with us and one thing I found interesting about it was that uh it, we were kind of giggling a little bit at telling the story. We were almost giddy talking about this, and I was thinking about this and realizing that that I think it probably comes out of the how seriously we take this kind of scary kind of concept that uh
2: um, as it happens um, and I, not to take anything away at all away from Amy, as it happens, I was uh, on that trip i wasn 't obviously in that centurion, uh, but on that trip to the Caymans I had left earlier in the day. Um, with mike bush and his 310 and we had landed and and checked into our our uh, our residence and and um i believe it was the husband of the woman amy flew down with we ran into him in the parking lot and he's telling us about the ditching and this is maybe 2 or 3 hours after after it occurred um and you know that kind of sucked the wind out of a lot of things uh as far as the um the uh, frivolity if you will of the event uh the next morning um amy by this time had had um, kind of thrown in the towel on getting down to the caymans um but the uh the woman whose name i I don't remember and i apologize um, uh profusely um but the the woman who was also in the airplane had airlined down or caught caught a ride with with another ga airplane and she was there the next morning and uh she was as you could imagine kind of surrounded literally yeah um by a bunch of pilots uh saying uh darling you know what happened and how this happened and would you all glad, do it glad and, to see you yeah and well, welcome to you know welcome back to to being above sea level and 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 you know you can, what can you tell us about this and and uh, uh, Amy um, uh, the, the situation Amy faced was a lot more dire than we described in last week's episode really um and that's 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 all I really want to say about it.
0: well, uh, there was just some great lessons that came out of that um, yes, not only was it an interesting tale, but uh, she gave us some great tips on on briefing your passengers and preparing for overwater flight and that was great. It went so long and it was so great um, that um, we actually recorded about an hour and thirty five minutes worth of podcast and uh, and since i'm on this thing now trying to keep this thing to under an hour twenty i I did more aggressive editing of that episode uh, huh, okay. than any in a long time. And so, uh, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of tease our, our listeners a little bit by, say, by telling you guys that I cut the story about uh, how Viagra makes you a better pilot. <laughs> I cut the story, or well, I cut me babbling about the Red Sox. No one's going to miss that. I thought you'd keep that one in hand for um, sure. I cut the story. Uh,
2: oh, man. Ah. What? All right. Ah, never mind. David, 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 David. Never mind.
0: I got the. Oh, I get it now. I hear now. Okay, everybody, rewind it. You'll hear it if you listen again. Um, I cut the story about the Iraq uh, DHL uh, plane that got shot down. And uh, that's good
2: because I made a I made a, an error in in oh, recounting really? that.
0: Yeah, yes. it did. It, it was an interesting story on paper, but we didn't really add very much to it. So I no. I, I cut that. And I cut the story about the Super Bowl business jet ramp picture because so, that turned out to be. But uh, I don't know if you guys wanted to revisit any of those stories. That's the main reason I mentioned it. And uh, maybe we'll, here, we'll put together. My, you know, I should do. I should put. I should do a special version of. I should do like. You we know, should do outtakes. The deleted scenes, you know, and uh, you know, <laughs> director's cut. That's right. Yeah,
1: because yeah, there's there's no there's no doubt there's going to be more of that. Uh, my question now, though, is, we've cut those out and we're not putting them in here. Uh huh. So we're not going to tell people that we cut out stuff that they can't hear, are we?
2: That's just basically what we did. We just told them yeah. that we talked about three things last week that – and when we mentioned Viagra for pilots. Well, I know – Pardon the pardon my phraseology here, but I know that several ears just pricked up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, and the the Iraq DHL I'll, I'll, thing.
0: Only uh, if it, only if this makes it into this I'll, week's. I'll, uh, let me just <laughs> <laughs> let me just say to our gentle listeners that the uh, that last week's version of this story was just more of the same here. This is uh, we we got a little carried away. Anyways, um, if now, I, I was role. trying to
2: play it. I'll, I will say this: I was trying to play it straight last week, and I got. Piled on, yeah, okay. so uh, <laughs> um,
1: so if there's an uproar for better, any of these, better, we'll, better uh, piled on than piled drive. will talk about.
0: Uh, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll revisit some of these later on, or I can dig out the tape and we can make a special edition or
1: something. Just like that. just long as we're not telling people about stuff that they can't hear. I mean, because this has been really funny, but it'd be frustrating as hell to go, well, well
2: where in the hell is it?" Yeah, uh, I mean, there's enough inside jokes in this podcast that uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we want to, you know, okay. add to.
0: So, anyways, uh, let's see now. In the forums, uh, in the forums, there's been a thread of people talking about uh, getting bad briefings or, or, or flight plans getting lost, or basically just on the generally on the subject of flight service it really isn't quite fixed yet.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and and I probably have to take some responsibility for starting that because I'd said something three or four weeks ago, or I don't know how many podcasts ago, uh, that you know flight service had improved. Uh, from its its dark days a year, year and a half or so ago. I, I still think that's the case. I think they've definitely bounced back. They're not where they should be by any stretch of the imagination. And I had a flight plan lost last week also. Um, I come smoking out of Venice um, uh, Thursday night, Friday morning, a week or so ago, uh, headed up into Georgia. And, uh, hey, dude, we ain't, we ain't got no flight plan on you. It yeah. just
1: hit me what's going on here. Flight Service is saving up for its own blooper shows. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you, you go. Know, uh-huh. Flight Service 2008: The uh-huh. Lost Flight Plans. Uh-huh. Tonight on Lost Flight Plans, a pilot over Georgia finds out that nobody knows he's freaking up there because poof, now you right. see it, now you don't. Tonight on Lost Flight Plans brought to you by Lockheed Martin. Uh-huh.
2: It, 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 um, I just I talked to, I just launched out of their VFR and, and called up Tampa TracON and said, Here I am, giving me my IFR and they said, Dude, we don't know who you are, where you're going or, or anything like that and I said, Well, that's just my luck. Uh and said, you know, basically just asked him for a Bravo clearance and, and which know, I which that's. I got and uh just motored on north, went through the Bravo and went out the other side and, and just went VFR. There wasn't any weather to worry about. You know, and, that's uh,
1: funny, because when you went up there on that trip, I've got you pinged in, a, uh, in, a, in an Internet program so I can see your tail number when you file a flight plan, uh, when you depart, when you arrive. Yeah. You wound up in Tifton, and I never saw an email on that. It didn't well, even make I it into via- the system.
2: Because I went VFR.
1: But <laughs> you said you
2: filed and… I filed, but they never had the flight plan. Trey right. for con- con- I always get flight.
1: I get an email when you file and it goes in the system
2: oh, you get it an never email got when in I, the system you get an email when I file well I had yeah. filed I had filed via voice telephone call with I believe the Miami flight service station and uh, of course there was um, no record of it um, and I went on VFR um, it, the only point I would make is we've kind of come full circle here Years ago, 10, 15 years ago or so, uh, and I don't remember exactly when Duats first came out, but I used it a good bit and um, would file a flight plans using it, and the flight plan would be accepted by the Duet system, but it would never show up at ATC. And I could call flight service, and 99.999, one of the time, the flight plan would show up at ATC. Every now and then, there might be a hiccup. Um, but in recent years, it's been almost the exact opposite, um, where the duets flight plans will show up, uh, voice filed F, or flight service station file flight plans won't, and that's that was kind of my wake-up call, I think, last last week, whenever it was. That I, I can't I can't depend on flight service to file my flight plans anymore. I'm just going to have to log a laptop with me and pray I got Wi-Fi.
0: Hmm. I was it's, wondering it's, about that. So that's that's yeah. the workaround. Is uh...
2: well, that's you know a lot of a lot of FBOs nowadays do have uh, a terminal. Um, the whether it's uh... uh... dtc i'm uh, not dtc it's a wsi terminal or or something like that where you can use to get weather and, and file flight plans and things like that uh... other uh... fbos they may not have that but they'll generally have Wi-Fi, or you know god forbid they'll at least have you know plano telephone service you can dial up with a modem and 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 uh... do this from your laptop uh... but uh, i'm gonna start making other arrangements that uh, I do this electronically uh, via the Internet because that's really the only way, lately anyway, that seems to be the, the only way to make sure that the, uh, um, the flight plan gets filed.
0: You, your laptop still has a modem in it? Yeah. Man, oh, man. Do you also this, like, do you also store data on a cassette tape recorder?
2: I'm going to come up there, and I'm going to throw you out boy, in the snow. Boy, oh,
0: boy. Get,
1: but the, the Mac guy bites dog again.
2: I tell you. That's right. You're, you're, the Macintosh doesn't put modems in computers anymore. Not anymore. Who needs a modem? Hey, man? Macintosh doesn't. Macintosh
1: doesn't
0: put optical drives in in notebooks anymore. Well, no, that's not true across the whole line. I, I agree. No, there. but that's coming across. That, the, n- the whole that line. new one. That new one doesn't have a. Right. You, you
2: need a modem in your computer so that when you land at East Jibip, <laughs> uh, when, and, and they don't have Wi-Fi in the, in the FBO lobby,
0: you can still get it to-do ads. The famous East Jibip, almost as famous as Ponca City. Uh, Dave, any but thoughts? But not nearly as noteworthy as West Jibip.
2: But and then, then, but you've not lived until you've been to South Stretch <laughs> Uh
0: Dave, anything to add to the flight service thing? Well, it, I've
1: been sitting here listening to Jeb talk, and it's like this is the first time that I've – I've experienced an instance where somebody I know filed a flight plan that never got into the system. I mean that's my only explanation for what happened here. It didn't get into the system, yeah. otherwise, this service that I've got would have seen it, mm-hmm. snagged it, and sent me an email telling me that it had been filed from point A to point B. Right. right It always does. It works for a dozen of my friends among them among them Jeb. So I don't get emails when my friends fly VFR. Now, Not even when they go on flight following.
0: Tell me about it's this service. On is, this, flight plan. is this a public service that anybody can sign up for? Yep, it's it's yeah. flightaware.com. Great. dot com. Right. It doesn't disturb you that that there are people all over America that know. So when you file a flight plan, Jeb, both both Dave and the NSA know instantly.
2: Well, I think the NSA probably knows a little bit more about me than Dave does uh, at this stage, and. You know, this is an old, uh, old argument. Old. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to. I don't mean to malign it, but it's 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 not new. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, the for years, there's been something called um, um, ASD, which is uh, uh, Aircraft Surveillance Data, and this is a data stream the FAA has made available to. Uh, you have to pay for it so it's not just out there on the internet you can you know telnet in or uh, uh, pick up pick up the website and and um, start using the data but you have to only qualified vendors can can access this stuff but it's basically a data stream of every aircraft airborne over the US and or known to to United States ATC Eliminated by by uh definition from that data is all military flights, including of course Air Force One. But all airline flights, all GA flights, are included in this data stream. Um
0: if you're on a was, flight plan or even if you're on flight following?
2: This is generally an IFR flight plan. Sometimes um, um, VFR aircraft will pop up and will be in the system. Uh, I don't remember the exact metrics, but basically uh, VFR aircraft on a, with flight following, getting it from a center, uh, I think uh, might okay. be in the data stream. Uh, it's it's been a while. Please don't hold me to it. Um, but the, again, the, the service is called ASD. This is where FlightAware basically gets their data. This is where Flight Explorer gets its data. Uh, there's any number of other uh... uh... providers of this data out there if you ever walk up to an fbo terminal after you've landed um and the the um, person behind the desk says well hello mister higdon um... they know who you are because they have accessed this data and have linked it into the faa's ownership database and they know who you are as you get out of the airplane based on the in number mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um Now um, years ago, um, there was a, a big push among some of the alphabet soup organizations in Washington to make this data available to the public, or at least make it available to, to qualified members of the public. Um, <clears throat> once it became available, um, there was all of a sudden a realization that the data was available to the public, if you follow my my thinking here. All of a sudden, people who kind of thought they wanted this want, did want it, but they didn't want anybody else to have it. Yeah. And and there was a huge, uh, 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 great hue and cry across the land. And uh, uh, certain uh, corporations, shall we say, decided that they did not want this information out there. And could the FAA please turn it off now that it had been turned on? And the FAA was like, guys, make up your mind. Well, the punchline in all this is that you can block that information from being um, released to the public basically what happens is the in number that you see um, as a result of this service being uh, uh, displayed is instead of an in number you see the word blocked and uh, you may or may not see the aircraft type but you'll see its altitude and speed and that's it you won't see the in number you there's no way to know uh, which aircraft that is based only on that data uh, and that 's an extra cost service you now have to to i think, I think nBAA is the only organization offering it i 'm not sure, uh, but they certainly do offer it they do it is not free you have to pay for it.
0: Hmm. So is the information degraded in any other way? Is it like delayed in time, or anything like there is that? there there is 15 minutes old, isn't it?
2: Yeah, there's latency involved. I'm not I'm not sure if it's 15 minutes, but uh, um, it, it could be in some in some situations. Um, it's the same kind of data. Um, the same basic data stream that you see when you go to an airline website and you say, "Well, you know, where's where's Grandma's airplane? Is it going to be on time?" And you look and you say, "Okay, it's airborne, and the ETA is such and such." Same basic data stream. Mm-hmm. Um, Flight Explorer, not to give them a plug, but it is a fairly neat little application. Uh, back in the old days, web had a had a deal with uh, Flight Explorer to uh, make available um, at a reduced rate the uh, client software uh, for that service. And you could uh, you could do all kinds of neat stuff with it. It was a great learning tool, a great training aid, especially for an um, uh, instrument much better feel for uh, how the, the ATC system worked. There were some neat, neat tricks you could do with it. If you had the high-end product, you could overlay weather and you could watch flights go around and, and through weather Uh, in real-time, near real-time. You could store the data and play it back at varying speeds, and what was cool about that is is you dial up the Memphis uh, sector or uh, Louisville sectors, and... um, uh, store the data and then play it back real fast, and it's like ants scurrying to an anthill. Uh, <laughs> when FedEx goes into Memphis and, and UPS goes into Louisville, yeah. and then you know, the, then they kind of separate out. You know, a couple hours later, and it's like a, it's like an explosion. All these all these airplanes going out in different directions. So it's, it's really kind of cool. Um, I think there's a, on, uh... there's a
0: YouTube video on.
2: There's a YouTube video I know of Memphis. I've seen other YouTube videos of. Uh, of uh, various airspace segments uh, where uh, people are going around weather, for example, uh, it's it's really kind of neat.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of you know, so the technology and everything, um, somebody posted probably Dave posted a story about the the how do you say this WAS W A S system. I
2: call it WAS WAS WAS.
0: was. Okay, was. the WAS system, and uh, there was a story recently talking about you know just kind of I guess. I'm not sure if there's any particular milestone reached they were just oh they reached the 1000th approach that had been installed 1000
1: yeah LPV approaches uh, uh, that depend on was LPV is lateral precision with vertical guidance and it is virtually and literally equal to ILS except you don't have to have a million dollar ILS and uh, the expense of installing and sighting it to make it work you just need C- was enabled GPS
2: Cat 1 ILS.
1: Cat 1 ILS, sure. That's almost all we ever talk
0: about here. Right. So, what's the significance of this story story, other than these are cheaper approaches? I mean. Just a
2: milestone.
0: Just
1: a milestone. The fact that it's taken them less than three and a half years to go from doing zero a year to doing uh, well over 300 of these new approaches a year. And when you think about the huge number of airport ins available, let's say. I don't know the number of airport ends available, but at a minimum, it'd have to be 11,000, 12,000, assuming that 5,000 some odd airports each only had one runway. Uh, But you can do a a precision approach, a precision quality approach to both ends of the same runway without any ground-based equipment and only the $50,000 or so expense of creating and publishing that one approach the first time as opposed to the huge expense of buying an ILS, installing it, sighting it, tuning it in, then the ongoing maintenance of keeping it running. And this is all just satellite-based with uh, a loss-enabled GPS. It's a great revolution. It means that thousands of airports that would never qualify or be able to afford an ILS can get an ILS-level le- approach. Uh, they may need to put in some extra lighting or some extra marking to qualify. To or get cut down, down some trees. Might maybe cut down some trees. That's correct. But uh, uh, this is, you know, this is actually the emergence of some real benefits to GPS coming into the system. Aside from the, you know, the uh, incremental benefit of being able to go direct. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been GPS approaches for years. Uh, they were seldom much more than slight improvements in minima over existing non precision approaches at the airports where they already existed was is you know just a whole new ball game yeah. now, uh, so congratulations to the FAA for actually you know moving this ball down the field pretty smartly
0: now from reading this story uh this article is, we're reading we're looking at a story on the aopa.org website uh this the was is uh a part of the so called next gen system that uh that i hear about well, all the it's, time it's, i'm not sure if i'm all that clear on what the next gen system really consists of i mean can, can conceptually can one of you kind of educate me a little bit on what next gen is all about jeb me you
2: uh, i'm going i've i don't know my my uh my thoughts on next gen are, are fairly well known um well i think he's just
1: asking what yeah. what constitutes next yeah that's
2: a that's a good, you know, that's a good question
1: apart, Watch is a part of it, yeah. uh, so is ADS-B,
2: uh-huh.
1: um, uh, and as we found out, E-LORAN, which is what the, what's being designated as the uh, the uh, designated hitter to back up GPS in precision navigation uh, for the future system, because the uh, Department of Homeland Security, I believe it is, has said it's going to fund the, the improvement and ongoing operation of the LORAN-C network that exists now. Uh, with enhancements to the E-Loran level uh, card and a GPS will make it dual system capable. Now I'm not saying that this is going to be retrofittable. Unfortunately it's going to be yet another new improvement that's going to mean a new box somewhere down the road. But a GPS receiver with an E-Loran receiver where you have equal levels of accuracy regardless of which source is driving, uh, given loran's in you know inherent uh resistance to jamming and, and and other kind of mischief uh you know it makes for a great tag team system to underpin a, a an area navigation based atc system so you're going to have was you're going to have to have adsb uh it's going to be new procedures for the faa uh or else none of this will real you know, generate any gains in the air sport, airspace uh, that's also going to mean some new services in the cockpit that's going to be part of next gen some of which we already have samples of but most of all then, next gen has got to somewhere along the way uh, also spur along new runway ends because with that new runway ends uh, you can stuff all the traffic you want to into the system with all that available airspace that could be freed up with next gen but if you've got no place to put it it does no bloody good
2: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. and jeb you're not you're not ready to buy it all yet
2: i, I uh, w- we have gps we have was uh yep. we have we have some flavors of, of adsb already um and basically next gen would make um uh, would make the air traffic control system much more dependent on yes. adsb and um, as a surveillance system, in other words surveillance i don 't mean wiretapping I mean uh, what is done with radar nowadays through th- radar by ATC. A transponder right um, and in, in a bargain, the number of radar sites would be reduced around the country, saving and, and the number of controllers, not coincidentally, would be reduced. Um, there would be a lot more um, uh, ground based and air based uh, computations being done. For um, routing changes, for uh, uh, collision avoidance and sequencing, um, than is being done now. A lot of this would be done uh, airborne, uh, uh, as opposed to uh, controllers. You know, kind of eyeballing something and throwing some windage at it and saying to turn left or turn right and slow down or whatever. Um, I, my my frustration and and. and uh, um, Concern about next gen basically stems from the FAA's historical categorical inability to manage any project of this kind, uh, as it has proven time and time again since I've been watching. And I have no confidence whatsoever that they're going to be able to do it again. That they're going to be able to uh, to pull a rabbit out of the hat. And uh, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of money going to contractors already. Um that are you know in my mind just kind of being poured down a rat hole here um i 'd like to be wrong i'd like to be proven wrong i 've certainly been wrong before and and this might be the second time but uh <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh I just don 't think uh that what the f a a has in mind here is uh in the best interests of users
1: well it 's definitely it 's definitely geared you know what what the FAA has in mind is represented by their notice of proposed rulemaking for phase 1 of the movement to ADS-B and next gen uh, there's nothing in that puppy for the customer
2: Right. Well, except but,
1: but, the side, except the side benefit of you know working in a system uh, that may have some incremental gains in it yeah. at the ATC operation level. There's no benefits in this. You you won't be able to drop your current transponder. That's You'll right. still need mode C or mode S. Uh, and uh, if you want some of these services, you are you can already get some of them with mode S. Uh, not all the radars can go away because you're going to need some of them for backup and some of them for. Uh, uh, Extra capacity, they say. Sure. Uh, and it, they're only requiring ADSB out, as it's called, which is position reporting like a transponder does, except without the radar involved. Right. And for pilots to gain anything out of this in the cockpit, they have to have ADSB in, which delivers all this available information to their multifunction display and uh and of course, nothing in a rule proposal says you can 't choose to go with a d s b n and right now i 'm not seeing a lot of the uh, a d s b uh, uh, hardware sold as out
2: only yeah well remember um the i think i think you know, unless there's something else you 're looking at Dave, the n p r m you 're looking at is uh, uh the one that basically specifies the nature of the ADSB out hardware. Right. The airborne hardware basically specifies what must be built into that hardware at a minimum uh, for an aircraft to be uh compliant with the ADSB standard. Um
1: it there also starts to propose what airspace and which sure. A, it, B, and C it'll I, be required.
2: Exactly. Exactly. But the punchline there I go again is that um, there is there is no real rec- standard um, being proposed by the FAA at this time that says how we will have to equip our aircraft. Um, they're looking at the um, the ADSB out standard to be implemented around t- uh, 2015, with the full boat standard being implemented around 2020.
1: I thought 2012 was initial capability. But, uh,
2: um, well, you might be right. I, I, I haven't looked at that. As a matter of fact, I just deleted it, the file from my computer the other day because I, I was tired of staring at it on the desktop. You're, uh, you're right
1: on the back end 2020 yeah. is when the transition is supposed to be complete.
2: Okay. Um, so we, we, even now, here we are 12 years out, we don't know what that's going to be uh, yet because the standard hasn't been developed, hasn't even been really proposed yet formally by the FAA, and that process alone will take three or four years. And then the hardware will have to be designed and TSO'd and tested and marketed and purchased and installed and debugged and... Da, da 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 and paid for not not coincidentally um so I, it, it, the whole thing is just a head scratcher here and and again I've just been down this road before with the FAA oh, where I'm, I'm, especially especially when it comes to we you know we need we need more money to pay for all this oh, I and remember I, I've seen this movie and it doesn't come I, out I, well
1: I remember MLS yeah what it what you know what a cluster that was in
2: Charlie Foster's Throughout the period, period. (laughs) it was a Charlie Foxtrot.
1: I think it was J. Lynn Helms at the head of the FAA uh, Uh, at the time. Yes. And and, uh, uh, MLS was going to solve all these problems and create all this new airport capacity, particularly in the precision approach environment, down, you know, up to and including Cat 3. And it was going to do all these wonderful things, except there was never a standard for the box. There was never a box made that was remotely affordable by anybody. And the entire time, several organizations, AOPA and NBAA, if I remember correctly, among them, saying, why are we bothering with this? We're getting ready to put up all these satellites that are going to become the GPS system. We should be planning and developing that system starting now.
2: Back up. You said? Did you say NBAA was not a, was not a was not supportive of MLS?
1: No, I didn't say they weren't supportive of MLS, okay. but they were saying that we needed to be moving beyond that, even as MLS was yeah. coming on board.
2: Uh, I, I won't disagree with that. I, I I worked at NBAA at the time, and NBAA I, I uh, thought you did, yeah. yeah. But it was four square behind MLS, uh, perhaps even more so than some of the uh, the air carriers. Um, I, I, AOPA back then had. I had at least one airplane equipped with um, uh, an MLS receiver. I don't know if they have it or not. And I think I mentioned even on the podcast recently. um, I I recently I flew a diesel Skyhawk um, owned by an operator there in the DC area. It it had an MLS receiver in it. Yeah, Uh, they did exist at least for the light in the GA, but they were a expensive, b rare. Yeah.
1: Yeah, nobody was making them in any volume because there were only about three approaches in the country that used them. And uh, the cost proposals for equipping all the airports where there was ILS with MLS were, you know, just off the scale more expensive than even ILS was at the time. And, uh,. You know, it, it, we've seen them this stuff up before. No argument there. Uh, my, my my disagreement right now is that they haven't really shown aviation the money on why we should be buying into this idea. Now, I understand what the potential benefits are and what the concepts are, and I think a lot of people do. But the FAA seems to be taking a lot for granted from my
2: perspective. <laughs> that, like that's never happened before.
1: That, that you know, that... the that everybody's going to buy into this just on them saying oh it's going to be a good thing you'll like it thank you martha trust uh, us uh, you know we need we market this to us you know show us some advantage uh, some uh, benefits some advantages god buy knows me. they're buy out me. there in the capstone project they're out there in ups's experience using adsb in the ohio river valley uh... It, it, UPS is implementing this software for its onboard uh, – uh, onboard software for its aircraft uh, that uses ADSB to manage approach speeds and spacing going into Louisville International. For
2: Dave, what you're, what you're saying, though, is, is you just want to be – you know, you want to be bought a couple of drinks first.
1: Uh, and and, and then maybe blowing my ear. You know? Yeah.
0: Okay. (laughs) Which brings us full circle to the whole Viagra makes you a better pilot thing. Um. (laughs) Um. Yeah, yeah,
1: just don't expect me to cough over money for roses and dinner because you say I'm going to like it in the morning.
0: That's right. You guys clearly know a lot about this stuff and have an interesting point of view i 'd love to hear from our listeners about this I would too i 'm sure there 's a lot of people out there listening who are also very familiar with these systems and uh, I know for example well,
1: and there 's been some good posts about it on the on the forum yeah let's uh, a hear couple more of about people raise uh, some of these points so yeah uh, chime in uh uh, this morning and and yesterday was finally starting to get caught up on reading some of the forum stuff, folks. Uh, you're doing a you're doing a phenomenal job of making that place a really interesting spot to drop in and visit and eavesdrop. So
0: yes, it absolutely, really is. it really is absolutely. So here's my favorite forum posting of the week, and it has nothing to do. with... Well, it has very little to do with aviation, but it's my favorite, nevertheless. <laughs> this is from. We'll be the judge of that. This is from a uh, from a, a listener who who goes by the username, and I don't have have no clue how to pronounce this, Ara O M. When I first read it, I thought it was A O M D, M D, like in you know Flying Doctor, but it's apparently spelled A R A O M D, uh, and he writes. Assuming it's, a, I think it's an Adam, I think is his name. Uh, he said, I, I had never heard of and Kugels until this podcast. <laughs>
1: He writes. He we we writes, can explain why that is an aviation topic. But go he ahead. writes.
0: He writes. I, it, it sounded like a typical mass-produced American lager, Logger. And he says, "I saw the." But he says, "I saw the sunset wheat at my local bar and decided to give it a whirl. It was great." He writes. He says, "A very flor." This is the. This is the sentence that got my attention. He said, "A very floral nose with just the right amount of hop, much better than the standard wheat." <laughs>
2: Come on in. The water's
0: fine. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> he says. I usually listen to the podcast while I'm driving, so I won't be able to join in the beverages while listening to the podcast. And he little sad, sad face uh, on the on the screen. So, uh, so apparently, apparently we're we're you know. I mean, I just like what it tastes like, you know. But yeah. uh, apparently, it has a very floral nose and just I'm, the right well, amount the of That's the sunset. Hop. That's the sunset wheat. Yeah, yeah. I'm in
2: for the buzz. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know
1: they make a they, they make a, a a red. They make a, a, a creamy dark lager. Uh, they make a berry vice that uh, I find that people that think beer is bitter uh... like better than wine coolers because it's yeah. a little on the sweet side, yes, yeah. Liney's a little bit like Sam Adams, in the regard that it's a small operation with a big product line, and it's rare that you'll see more than six or so of, of the Liney's versions in a in a liquor store, let alone a bar, but in truth, I think they make upwards of twenty yeah yeah
2: Hopefully. and and, and it's, it's very seasonal also,
1: some of them are yeah. Some of them are, and the reason that there's this is a perfect aviation story is because a you, you know a lot of us got our introduction to linease in different varieties uh, by by going to Wisconsin for you know. Uh, something called oshkosh Mm -hmm. and uh... got our exposure up there and carried the word back home and came home from oshkosh one year and two weeks later Liney started showing up in my liquor store well come to find out one of the distributors that deals with them had been to oshkosh and had this stuff served to him as some kind of party and said well we got to get our hands on this Uh, uh... aviation people spread the word you read about it on an aviation pot or heard about it on an aviation podcast it's part of being the aviation community drinking beer getting together hangar flying i don't see what's not an aviation story about this comment
2: there you go there you go
0: so that's the uh, that's the format there's a lot of good stuff going on in the forums. a lot of just continuing conversations about various things and uh, i urge everybody to go check it out there so uh... Well, I don't know. We haven't exactly each them them in our allotted time, but we've we've gone through the list here. What else is going on? You guys been flying?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't been flying since last weekend. I I landed uh, uh, Tuesday and parked the airplane, and I haven't been airborne since then. Um, that was the the trip back from uh, from uh, Georgia. Um, I guess the only the only well I guess two interesting things but 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 it but that is easy for me to say um, I got to fly a DA a forty a diamond d a forty two twin star diesel how really? cool was that yeah, we did that is that
1: as quiet and smooth as i
2: expected to be? yeah it's it's very smooth it's it was it was very much like my airplane in a lot of different ways um not to not to punch up my airplane but it was it handled similarly. Um, it uh, had similar performance uh, and it was similarly smooth, I think perhaps even smoother. Um, th- this was a, uh, a, a fairly uh, recent version of the DA 42 Twin Star uh, with the diesel engines. It had the Garmin 1000 panel. Um, there was a. It did not have a couple of things, or uh, I guess the uh, the most recent edition of the Garmin 1000. It did not have, and that's the uh, installation with the GFC 700 uh, autopilot system. And it had uh, WAS. I don't recall. I believe it did. I believe it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was a, a flight instructor myself and uh, Paul Birdrelli, at aviation consumer. We were uh, my, and my boss down here. Uh, we were going up uh, to do some picture taking and and uh, kind of give me some experience in the airplane. Um, and uh, went out. This was uh, out of Naples, Florida. Uh, flew south of Naples for uh, several miles and did some air work and actually shut an engine down. Um, flew it around on one engine for a little while. Powered it back up. Went back and landed. Um, a bunch of fun. Um, didn't didn't scare anybody too badly. Um, the airplanes, you know, different, but fairly simple and, and, and fairly basic. Uh, shutting an engine down or, or even starting an engine is, you know, f- yeah, you've got a uh, a condition lever. You've got a, a fuel control. Uh, there on the console. That's about it. Um, to st- turn on an engine, you and I, I use that term advisedly, you flick a switch. You you, you reach over and you pull the switch up and uh, the engine starts on its own. It's all FADEC. It settles into an idle, um, yada, yada, yada. When you um, shut it down, you reach over, shut know, flick the switch down, and the engine spools down. The prop goes to feather, Ooh. and oh, all, it's 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 really cool to watch this. Uh-huh. Um, the prop goes to feather, and uh, you're sitting there while saying, "Wow, you know that's pretty slick." And you're you you know if you're in this case, we had the that the the, uh, the engine we feathered um, had that just pulled back to idle, and had the other one pumped up. Um, and it was, uh, anybody who's flown a twin would know what I'm talking about. Uh, fl- flown a twin and, and done any single engine work in it, I should say. Uh, would know what I'm talking about when, when I say the, the, the performance acceleration. When you, when the prop went into Feather, as opposed to just sitting out there idling, uh, uh was, was fairly significant. Uh, things I didn't like about it, um... Uh, I need like three or four days or months, I guess maybe would be better, of Garmin One Thousand work.
1: Oh yeah, uh, you can't pick uh, that. You can't pick uh, those damn things up in a day. No, I mean, not a few is, hours. That's just like drinking no, from a fire hose.
2: There is no way. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even want to be in that airplane VFR by myself, uh, with a brand new uh, in, in a brand new G One Thousand airplane by myself. The, the first few hours, um, that would that would just be asking for trouble.
0: Too many capabilities, oh man, yeah. or a bad, badly designed user interface? What,
2: what? Too, well, neither one. I, too many capabilities. There, there. It has a lot of capabilities. It's, it's presenting the informa- the same information. It's just presenting it in a different fashion. Uh-huh. And I, and I'm so accustomed to the steam gauges, that the round dials that many of us are familiar with. Um, the, the idea of um, this, this um, instead of a round dial for my airspeed. There's a vertical tape. Oh yeah. Okay. And, okay. And the glide slope is is not another bar on another dial. It's it's a, a couple of pixels illuminated on a uh, elsewhere on that same screen. I see. On the PFD. Um, yeah, on the PFD. Um, things like that. That. Um, the the ball of the turn and uh, the turn coordinator, or the turn and bank indicator, in, in my airplane is a dial, of course. And there's a race. There's a ball in a race in the dial. Uh, the turn coordinator, or the ball function of the turn coordinator, in the one thousand is a little uh, uh, trapezoid shaped thing up above the heading bug um, on the horizon, and he's like. I don't want to do this yeah. anymore yeah. you know there's, t- there's just a lot of little differences now there's all a good reason for this the way this thing's designed, and of course it's f a a certified et cetera et cetera uh but it is so completely different and, and and sufficiently different from what i'm accustomed to that it was like uh you know the drool was just running out of my mouth right and and I was just kind of uh uh comatose or, or catatonic after after this ride. Um, I, I, I,
1: just, I just finished a piece for avionics news yeah. about the safety aspects of technically advanced aircraft and glass panel aircraft, right. which are to kind of two degrees of the same thing. And uh, you know, one of the things that came up in my research on the story was the uh, uh, high degree of capability built into some of these things. If you get just a primary flight display, for example... Uh, there's really almost nothing to managing it. Right, it does all the stuff that the six pack steam gauges did, without you having to, to mess around with controlling it all. You know, to to any great extent. Uh, maybe you push a couple of buttons to plug in the right nav unit, but maybe they're elsewhere. But that's about it. Uh, multifunction displays generally pretty simple to operate to decide you know, what you want to show, whether you want to show this kind of screen or that kind of screen, uh, what hazard displays you might be running, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. But when you start to combine PFDs and autopilots, nav indicators, all the six-pack stuff with avionics management, engine monitoring, and all the heart architecture it takes to manage that, yeah. then you've got a compounding of complexities because now you're throwing in all your You know, your nav, your comm, your GPS controls into the same boxes, and it just gets overwhelming. So Cessna, for example, uh, has some uh, special simulators in independence. And I believe it's a three-day class for customers uh, that are buying G1000-equipped airplanes. Uh, Now, you know, that goes all the way down to the 172. And uh, up to the uh, Citation Mustang, and mm-hmm. and all those airplanes and ones in between are built there in Independence. Uh, there's a simulator company I found out from doing another story that actually makes a portable simulation kiosk geared just to teaching the G1000, where the training device goes to the students. Uh, There are CD and CD ROM based simulators for the G1000 that you can get. And I don't want to single out Garmin here because this is coming with uh, L3 Smart Deck, with uh, Avidine. It's got a new system in the works that hadn't been announced yet, so we'll keep our mouth shut there. But you can expect to see more of this as these kind of panels proliferate. And increasingly, insurance companies are requiring pilots that are moving to this kind of aircraft either through retrofit or new aircraft purchase to get specialized training on them because they're complicated enough, capable enough, that you can have your head down just long enough to have the aircraft go someplace that you don't want it to
2: go. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Which
1: <laughs> this whole thing then begs the question of whether this is
0: really an improvement, is it?
1: Well actually that's the funny thing where you measure the accident rate of delivered Technically advanced aircraft, new factory, new aircraft. Uh, between and the Air Safety Foundation did this in a very excellent study. It's available on their website. Uh, I believe their numbers for the 2002 to 2006 or 2003 through 2006 time frame, I believe it was 5,700 TAA's on the FAA registry that had been delivered up to that point in all the history. Uh, Accounted for 2.3 percent of the GA fleet in those categories of aircraft, but suffered only 1.5 percent of the accidents. Hmm. So there was a measurable difference in uh, the crash rate, the accident rate for TAs versus the fleet at large. They were it was lower than their percentage in the fleet, and some of that's accountable to things like. The improved uh, situational awareness that you can get with it, the higher reliability over suction pumps and gyro instruments that comes with some of this stuff. Uh, But the accidents that befell the folks that were in that 1.5%, 44% of them were VFR flight into IFR conditions. Yeah. That's not a technically advanced or glass panel or steam gauge issue. That's a pilot judgment issue. Well, So two TAAs points. are not a panacea.
2: Two points. One, uh, going back a little bit, uh, the, if you look up the definition of TAA, basically you're looking at a GPS-driven moving map connected to an autopilot installed in an airplane. My airplane, yep. uh, medi- having been manufactured in 1966, meets that definition. So there, there, there might be a little apples and oranges issue here with respect to um, the numbers that someone's crunching and and, and how they're counting. Secondly, um, I I understand and I agree with on one level the concept that a VFR into IFR situation is really a pilot error situation. On another level, however, I disagree with that, and and not not picking on any airframes or any brand names or anything like that. But you got an airplane that um, has an uh, uh, an MFD and a PFD in it, has all these nice bells and whistles, has maybe TKSD icing. You have all these nice bells and whistles in this airplane, the moving maps, the autopilots, uh, the thing will climb and descend and turn and hold and, and do everything except unnatural sex acts. Um, and... The you're pilot, just not talking to it, right? You're just not stroking it, right? That's right. Um, and the pilot gets overconfident. Take a drink. <laughs> the pilot gets overconfident and, and perhaps not overconfident in his abilities. He might well know what his abilities are, but he's overconfident in the airplane's abilities. He's overconfident the airplane will get him out of something that he might not should be in.
1: Well, it, I, it, IFR and VFR into IFR is one of the leading causes of accidents you know, mm-hmm. among GA pilots. Period. Yep. It, you know, it's a huge chunk it relative is. to other kind of accidents. So there's not a big disparity between, the, you know, the TAAs and others. I do agree with you though that there is in some folks a false sense of confidence in their capabilities and the uh, uh, advances in their airplanes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's specific to TAAs either. I think no, that's it's a, not. I think no. that's specific to guys with, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I've been here myself, My my only, between my only 150 and 500 hours, there's a time period in there where sure. you, you damn well feel like you've got this puppy mastered and just haven't had the crap scared out of you sufficiently to know that no, you haven't, nor will
2: you. Well, of course, you know, there is a difference, of course, that, you know, in fact, I do have it mastered, but that's another thing. And I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. But, but the, 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 thing, the point I would make, though, is that it doesn't matter if it's a, you know, you're, you're right. It doesn't matter if it's a TAA or not. Right. It could be a Super Cub. Um, but a pilot flying a TAA is more likely to, to succumb to this siren song uh, that the airplane is more capable than he is and find himself in a vFR into imc situation
1: i 'm not sure that I, I, I can buy into that I, <laughs> I, I think that 's a human hubris thing and it, uh,
2: i, I don 't know it, that it, I can it support it with data. i, I don 't know if I can support it with that or not, but my gut tells me it 's true
1: well, my gut does tell me that there 's a certain type of equipment available and not just in one brand of airplane but available as a retrofit in a number of airplanes and in a lot of experimental like airplanes and that's called a parachute Yep. and and I do know that there is a little bit of a mindset out there that you got one extra edge against t- disaster with that handle but as we've seen in some instances having the one extra edge hasn't resulted in the pilot having the judgment to use the one extra edge and winds up hurting and killing himself anyway
2: yeah, smack smacking into the side of a mountain it ain't going to help you when you pull the handle
1: that's great. It, pulling the handle's too bloody late. Yep. It's like you know pulling the ejection seat after the airplane's crashed. That's right.
0: It'll just make it easier to find the body. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. We're going to pick up on this in the future. This is great.
2: Uh, oh, no. We
0: <laughs> <laughs> need a regular feature. <laughs> like, you know, Jeb, and, Jeb and Dave fight. Arm wrestle. Um <laughs> Well, we need you it. Know, that's we one need, of the reasons
1: why. That's one of the reasons why we get along so bloody well. Is that you, there are so many areas in which we are completely in sync, uh-huh. and so many others where we're just a little bit out of rhythm with one another. So it's it's kind of like, all right, the synchros ain't working on this one. <laughs>
2: Jane, you ignorant slut.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> shout outs. Shout outs. Let's see now. Um, I want It's not on the list, but I do want to remind people that uh, Sun and Fun is coming and uh we're headed down that way again this uh, spring uh Someone some of us will have to go up. Soon, that's soon, right some of you will have soon, to go up uh,
1: moon I, is coming <coughs> soon.
0: oh my god Uncontrolled airspace podcast. will be down there. Uh, we're going to be doing two episodes down there uh, this year, and uh, the first one will be on day one of the uh, event. I believe that's Tuesday uh, in the afternoon, right after the daily air show. Uh, we'll be at the uh, the Sun and Fun Radio building, which is sort of back and behind the exhibit area, and uh, I hopefully there will be some sort of venue for for people to kind of come and hang out and watch and maybe even participate. But uh, bias beers but you can buy us beers or, or, or whatever and uh um, but it will also be broadcast live on Sun and Fun Radio's, uh, local AM frequency. AM, I think they have both an AM and an FM, but the local frequencies, you'll see it in all the, uh, Sun and Fun information once you get down to the event. So we'll be doing one on Tuesday afternoon after the Daily Air Show and one on Sunday morning, the final day of the event, um, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we'll be doing about an hour and a half, maybe two hours worth of content and, uh, uh, just talking about the uh, event and how much fun we're having, and and many of us will be enjoying the beautiful weather, and uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we hope people will come by. Uh, the, there's a lot of discussion on the forums about people who are planning to be down there, and uh, there's talk about the uh, there's talk about the Grouper Fingers restaurant being reopened in time for sun and fun. So that, oh, all that's right. some, something. To look oh, it for. would be great if Tony's was open again. Yeah, so uh, um, there, there's sort of a, the beginnings of a plan to try and put together some sort of uncontrolled airspace meetup above and beyond the episodes where we gather and just kind of I don't know maybe at a restaurant or a watering hole or, or something like that and to meet some of the listeners who are in that area or are going to be at Sun and Fun so that's uh, that's coming up I guess it's what about six weeks out and there'll be a lot more details we get closer but uh, mark your calendars and if you aren't already going to Sun and Fun uh, think about it because it's it's uh, you know it's a great it's, show it's a it's great a, show it's, it's a lot wonderful, of fun wonderful event. And there's
2: a lot of Sun and, but uh, uh, no it, it is a great event it's, If, if um,
0: I bet that's why they call it that
2: that's why doggone it now it makes sense um, what I was going to say though is, is <laughs> if you've ever been to Oshkosh um, or if you've never been to Oshkosh and just have always wanted to go to Oshkosh Sun and Fun is a, a subset if you will of, of Oshkosh it is smaller it is more accessible um but it is uh, a, a distinct event. Yeah. Um and it has, you know, air shows, it has vendors, it has um, all the big name um manufacturers are there uh displaying their latest and greatest. You can, you know, climb through new airplanes to your heart's content. Um you can um Talk to vendors, talk to manufacturers of the latest avionics, the latest instrumentation, whatever you need, you can find it at Sun and Fun in a much more accessible, um, more compact version of uh, of uh, of Oshkosh. Not maligning Oshkosh, uh, I'll be there at every Oshkosh I can until the day I die. But Sun and Fun has. Uh, a lot going forward in that it's, uh, of course, the first of the year, first show of the year, and it's just a little bit easier to deal with, yeah. a lot easier to deal with in some ways. Yeah.
0: So uh – uh Think about it. Put it on your calendar, and uh, and come on down. And if you're unable get to make it no down tam, there, get the fly in. And, yeah, uh, try get the No Tam. That's right. Um, if you're unable to make it, uh, definitely check out those episodes of the podcast because we'll be telling you what's going on down there.
2: I'm I'm disappointed though because I know we're winding down here on this episode, and yeah. I'm just dis- disappointed that we really never really got a chance to talk about the weather where where the two of you are.
0: Dave, I know you uh, put on the list a couple of things about, I'm just going to go right on by that, uh, <coughs> a couple of, uh, hey, Jim, uh, speaking of Oshkosh, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of news items about Oshkosh, uh, pre-planning for Oshkosh. Dave, you want to talk about these? Oh, just, uh, just a, a, a
1: couple of quickies. Uh, the uh, Spirit of Aviation video that's uh, on uh, the Oshkosh, on the EAA website e a dot org it's seventeen minutes uh it really does uh it really jerk my jerk my chain good maybe homesick to be at oshkosh and uh you know when 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 i come home from Oshkosh all I can remember is that i've worked myself through a blur and then i get to look back on it in retrospect as people ask me about it looking at the video the seventeen minutes that was carved out of past shows uh was you know like a Damn, I remember those days. So uh, that's that's worth a look at. And uh, if you are planning on going this year, and you'd like to spread out some of your spending on it, uh, EAA is for the first time offering uh, tickets of weekly and daily passes uh, for sale on a uh, advanced ticketing site. That uh, you'll find the link on the uh, uncontrolled airspace dot uh, com website uh... with this episode but uh, so you can actually buy tickets ahead of time and uh, you know get that part of the expense for you and your group out of the way now so that there's less out of pocket when july comes uh, you can also tap the EAA website for some other worthwhile things like trying to find housing, uh, finding uh, cheaper airfares through some of their airline partners, or maybe even hitching a ride up and back through their rider board. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's worth visiting periodically just to see what new is coming along Uh like, for for example, this year, the F-22 Raptors will be back again, and there's going to be some new stuff. I understand Sir Richard Branson may be showing uh, uh, the mock-up of uh, uh, White Knight 2 and Spaceship 2 that's going to be the backbone of Virgin Galactic Airlines when it starts taking passengers to the edge of space in a few years. So it's shaping up to be a good show. Cool. Both of them yeah. are.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's a uh, – uh, a, uh, Public broad- yeah, thanks, excuse me. Easy for me to say. I'm trying to get a handle here on something I just re- remembered and I wanted to mention. There's a public broadcasting system um, uh, documentary out on um, air shows. And I think oh, on it. Oshkosh specifically. It, it, it was it, supposed it, to yeah. debut last night. Yeah, it did uh, debut last night according to some of the emails I've seen. Um, I, I cannot. I'm looking at the PBS website. Uh, I don't see. Uh, anything? I know it's in HD, so I'm looking at the HD schedule. I don't see anything here about it. Uh, let's keep going here.
1: I um, can't testify because it did not play here on our local p s uh-huh. last night. Uh-huh. And they do have HD, and we have HD, so I'm really hot to see it.
0: Uh, but so far,
1: not there.
0: We'll let's see if we can dig out that information, and we'll add it to the show notes.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll add uh, yeah. that in. But it, uh, I'm told it's a it's a it's a good program. Um, I, j- I have not seen it myself, so I can't vouch for that. But uh, um, we'll we'll look that up. It's just something new that's that's come out. It just started this week. And uh, um, anybody who's interested, I th- I'm not sure that it's is is it specifically about Oshkosh, Dave, or is it or is it just it air shows generally? I thought it was specifically. I, I, I know about that Oshkosh. they shot a a a, a, a butler. To use that word again, a video um, at at Oshkosh last summer, but I wasn't sure if it was specifically about uh, AirVenture. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, the uh, the uh, it was National Geographic that produced it, and it's going on public broadcasting service uh, television stations. Uh, my first clue into this project. Was when one of the uh, uh, cinematographers and one of the field producers uh, for the uh, for the show were on the blimp ride mm-hmm. that I got when uh, Goodyear gave me a lift in their uh, blimp to do some photography from inside the gondola. Uh, I remember, if I remember right, it was a, a British fellow named Richard that was uh, handling the video camera mm-hmm. on my flight and uh... nice folks uh... he took some pictures for me of me in front of the blimp taking off and uh... I took some shots of him and his uh, uh... lovely producer uh... in front of the blimp but mostly we rode around together and uh... And, and shot and watched and got to see the air show from the gondola but i believe this was entirely about oshkosh i couldn't
2: okay. be wrong okay.
0: we'll look into it we'll put it in the yeah,
2: show we'll figure it out
0: any other shout outs Okay. Not tonight, Josephine. Nope. So, what did you want to say about the weather? <laughs>
2: I, I I just I wanted to I didn't want to say anything to say about, about, about the weather. I didn't want to really say anything about the weather. I just wanted to hear you two bitch.
1: Let <laughs> me put it, it suck, out your, suck
2: out of your nose. I know.
1: <laughs> it sucked my nose till my head caves in. And uh, well, that, in addition to that, It will can... warm the cockles
0: of your. In addition to that, you can learn more about Dave Higdon, uh by Googling his name. His website, You're, it's still down, I would imagine. Is that correct, Dave? Yes. Yeah, so, they've got a new system, so we're redesigning to fit the new system. One of these so. days, DaveHigdon.com will come back to life. In the meantime, just Google Dave Higdon and uh, ignore the items about the tennis guy. Learn more about uh, Jeb Burnside and his work at it's JebBurnside.com. It's not my racket. Also, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, and he is somehow, some way, still involved with AvWeb.com.
2: Yeah, I- well... figure that
0: out and and for myself check out uh, jackhodgson.com or my uh, technology website techpopuli.net so uh, oh and you can learn more about all of us uh check out the forums and uh eventually we'll get back to doing some blog posting but we're having so much fun with the forums that
1: and before we go got to mention the map thing
0: the map thing is really cool yeah those of
1: you that have posted the map thing uh you know, and, and your comments and your locations, just love it to death. Thanks so much. Keep it coming. At some point, I'm going to figure out how to do that for myself.
2: And, I, and it, it kind of gave me a little inspiration, and, and we're going to talk about another little project, something like this, offline. Okay. Uh, what, and, Dave's, uh,
0: what Dave's referring to is that there's a, a, a system called Frapper, F-R-A-P-P-R, I believe it's called, Frapper.com. And uh, that allows you to put a, a map on, on your your website and then invite the people who are interested in your subject to identify where they're located. And uh, so we did that a, a few weeks back, and listeners have been uh, basically putting little colored dots on our map. And it's really interesting to... I mean, we, not only do we have a very satisfying uh, uh, pile of dots all around uh, North America, but uh, now we're starting to see we, some in, in uh, the U.K., in uh, Europe... Uh, there's actually now one in uh, in the Orient somewhere. I'm not exactly sure whether that wh- what part that there's, is. There's, there's one in frapper, Australia. There's one in there's New Zealand. There's frapper dots everywhere. Yeah, so <laughs> it is cool to see uh, where everybody's checking in from. That's really cool. So that's on the website too. Check out all this stuff on the website at uh, uncontrolledairspace.com. And uh, I guess that's it. I want to thank everyone for joining us in the virtual hangar this afternoon. And we'll talk to you all again next time. TTFN. Clear, Clear prop.